Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 107 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Dean AS, and I'm joined as ever by my... What should I call you this week? By my... my co-host, my esteemed co-host, Blue Tick Twitter wanker, Liam Hat of DAZN, sports, boxing, all that jazz. Mm. Have, have I done you justice there? Well, I just want to point out to anyone listening to this, all like 17 of you, that the reason why Dean got somewhat flustered there is that we have a video on for this particular call one, like a lot of times, and I'm just making sure to throw him all sorts of abusive uh, miming and sign language and things like that, and he clearly couldn't handle it. This is, this is a I mean, he works in the wrestling business, of course, he can't handle heckling. No, incidentally, if DAZN uh, end up with the strap line of sports, boxing, all that jazz, I want my cut of the royalties. All right, yeah, yeah I can safely say I'll make sure you get a lot of money if that's ever their exact catchphrase. Excellent. So, um, how, how are you? How was your Christmas? I've had a good Christmas. I am. Um... I'm definitely larger than I was last week. Oh, we all are. I'm about 80% cheese at the moment. Only 80%? You, you're yeah. really cutting back. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the food, the drink was all good. The TV was mediocre, but then it was by choice because we end up watching the same TV shows every bloody year. You can't really expect that to, to go up in quality when you're insisting on watching a certain Christmas film on a certain day. But I did have the... Because I've got a young child, I did get the honour of watching The Princess Switch on Netflix yesterday. I'm, I'm sure uh, had had we not had a child, I would have missed out on that absolute wonder of cinematic marvel. <sighs> I see. And, and I presume that... Uh... That your daughter's uh, age is, we're still kayfabing on Santa. Yes, we are kayfabing Excellent. on Santa. Right. And, and it's a couple more years until I can just smack Santa in the back with a steel chair, which is what I'm looking forward to. Excellent. That's what we all want. Now, those of you who are watching on video will, will know this already, but uh, those of you on the uh, on the audio, the traditional audio podcast, uh, let me just uh, frame what we're doing today. Um, we are doing our, our annual end of year Ask WCW Q&A, but we have brought along a couple of friends. Um, and... Well, we 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 had we had one person last year, didn't we? We had Finley Martin with us last year. Yeah, that this year, off. yeah, <laughs> this year, not one but two. They they kind of they they come as a pair, um, and they're they're better as a pair. They are two. I was going to say two, not just two of my best friends in wrestling, just two of my best friends in real life, and they've known known each other for over twenty five years. Um, Adam Muscles Mansfield, stalwart of British wrestling, and Justin Richards, uh, another wrestling stalwart, one of the great trainers uh, of, one of the unsung heroes. Both of these men are unsung heroes in my book of British wrestling. Uh, start with you, Adam. How are you? How was your Christmas? 
I'm good, Dane. Thank you again for having me on. Um, my Christmas was quiet. Um, bought Mama budgie for Christmas. <clears throat> yeah, she wanted a budgie. Trying to teach it to say piss off and feck off and all sorts. Just so I can... Why would someone teach their language. mum to say that? <laughs> my mum's language is more appalling than what mine is, as Justin can vouch for, couldn't you, Justin? Certainly could, yes. Trust, trust me, trust me I've, I've been with Adam when his mum has phoned him up because was it now she couldn't find the electricity key or something and, oh, was, and, uh, yeah, and wanted you to help when you were in Brighton and she was in London and that was tremendous to yeah. listen to. As a spectator, that was tremendous. So as, as a participant, probably not so good. Uh, and and, uh, and JR, Justin, how about you? How was your Christmas? How are you doing? Hello. Um... I think, as you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Christmas. Um, we, we are. <laughs> yes, we know. In any sense well, of the word. Um, but I spent, uh, I spent the last uh, week up in Preston with one of my very, very good friends and his family, um, former wrestler Sabotage. Um, mm-hmm. We've been friends for so many years, so I spent my time up there. They were going to kidnap me if I didn't agree to spend the festive season with them so um that was nice it was nice i can't deny it but um well it was nice that... to spend christmas under the threat of kidnap yes you yes. should try it sometime dane this is <laughs> underrated well you know I'm, I'm half arabic so normally it's the other way around on the kidnapper you know <laughs> yes setting the tone, back setting back the tone early setting the tone early yeah <laughs> Uh, and um, I, yeah, I'm, I, if I if I do sort of uh, sound a bit weird or go off snuffling at some point, I am I am currently battling man flu. Um, Is it the good age or the bad age? Probably the probably the bad. Um, but um, not for the first time in my life, I'm sat by a computer with a box of tissues. But very different context this time. Definitely around. setting that tone. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> no Sorry. <laughs> Man flu's no joke either. Man, man flu is no joke. Man flu. No, no. I am. Mm. I am probably going to do a a lateral flow test tomorrow out of sheer paranoia. But uh, but anyway. Um. So um. So yeah, Adam, you you you're still wrestling. You were you're working a show for Rumble Promotions. What a couple of days ago. Yes. Yeah. I uh, wrestled for Rumble Promotions in Kensley. Um. I was wrestling um Little Legs and Sid Minnelli. Um, taking up with Don, Don and Don Taylor. That went really well, actually. The, there was a good house there as well. Glad to see the British fans still making it to the wrestling shows in these unusual times still, you know? Yeah. Great to have the fans back, back on side and then reacting with the fans as well. It's like I've missed it so much. I'm glad it's coming back on. And, uh, and Justin, you are, you are a, re- a retired wrestler who's actually stayed retired, which is virtually unheard of. Do you know, I was just thinking, I'm in um, a unique position here in that I don't really watch um, any wrestling anymore, any wrestling. I don't even like wrestling anymore, if I'm completely honest. I've lost uh, lost the attraction that first drew me into watching it um, and participating Interestingly enough, I used to advise my students that uh, the passion that they felt for wrestling at that time might not remain with them throughout their career. 
-hmm. and at any time they could lose the passion and after that happens they should just stop um, rather than participating in something they don't feel 100% engaged in. And little did I know that would happen to me and uh, but I took my own advice and as soon as I stopped feeling that passion for wrestling I stepped away from it. I stepped away from it and um, over the Christmas period when I was staying up with my friend he showed me some AEW um, matches which was interesting. It um, surely wasn't as bad as what I thought it, it was going to be um, but it still it still left me feeling empty inside um, so that's pretty sad but that's what sets me aside from yourself, Liam, Liam and Adam, um, in that I'm so far removed from wrestling now. Hopefully, I'll be able to contribute uh, something worthwhile uh, in our chat tonight. Well, we'll, we'll be, yeah, I mean, some, some of the, the questions that we've been sent in are, are looking at current day things but a, a lot of it is looking back over the you know the era of wcw so um so you'll have yeah you'll have plenty to, to, to contribute yeah. there. and um, let's face facts i mean D- dean hasn't contributed anything worthwhile for 106 episodes so <laughs> if he gets a pass you'll be fine you'll be exactly. absolutely fine That's good. That's yeah, and I, mean, I, I know what you mean i mean i've had i've had times in my life where my passion for wrestling disappeared and i did step away a couple of times only to come back when that passion reignited i suppose so um it just sounds like for for yourself that passion didn't didn't reignite but but hey okay um so before we uh get cracking with the questions i do want to just say um uh, a big thank you to uh the people who um contributed on on twitter on our twitter page at because wcw we asked uh to use the hashtag ask because wcw um so in no particular order just want to say thank you to francis reyes destin the caw master i guess that's creator wrestler uh bootsy and um long-term listener navdeep ray hill um all of whom have submitted uh, at least one question um and uh, also just want to um say um a hello i looked up the figure limb and it's 0.42 percent of our listenership this year that has come from parts unknown it feels like more than that <laughs> that, that, that feels like it's been fudged on that. i'm yeah. pretty sure we have a sizable following in parts unknown um and also the good news is that our our listenership this year has gone up by 11 percent compared to last year so we're continuing to, wow. to move in the right direction it's amazing always... considering the fact we're really struggling to get episodes out I can't believe it. We're doing two in two weeks. I know. It's unheard it's like, of. It's like the golden age all over again. Well, you know, if we go into another lockdown, we have got fuck all else to do. We'll be churning those episodes out before you know it. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. Um, right. Let's start. Um, let's start at the top. Um with uh, a question that came in. I really like this one. Uh, what le- and I'm going to start with Adam. I think, what lesson do you think AEW need to learn from WCW? The lesson they need to learn is to be a wrestling company that produces TV, not a TV company that produces a wrestling show. Because that was a downfall of WCW, in my opinion. It was a, t- it was a 
television. It was a television company that produced a wrestling show. They didn't have a clue in the storylines a lot of times. They just got lost in the shop and gave the wrestlers creative control. They steal away. AEW steal away. Keep away from that. AEW would be a little bit more. Well, they'll be more successful than WCW will be. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about creative control before. And I mean, I guess even, Justin, when when we've been involved in British wrestling in years gone by, where you've got a a booker who is um, an active wrestler who therefore has that creative control, there's always that conflict of interest, isn't there? Of course, of course. Egos. Egos. And uh, I think most people... Uh, will admit that WCW had a lot of egos, and especially in the upper office. Um, when that, when when you're fighting against that, uh, you're never going to deliver the best product uh, that you're able to. So yes, I certainly would agree with uh, Adam there. And I mean, over over the years, you you must have uh, had some. Uh, encounters with uh, people who couldn't really lace a pair of boots up but put themselves in those situations, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Um, Fortunately for me, um, in Hammerlock days, (laughs) I I was one of those people in the office. Um, However, um, when I used to assist Andre in booking the matches, I never used to put myself in a position where it will be seen as a favourable uh, position for me to be in. Um, I would never book myself to go over in matches. I would also always book uh, uh, myself to to do the job. Um, well, I was going to say, but, whenever the, the few times that I remember you being in the main event, it was normally in a tag match. And you, yeah, I was going to say, I always think you lost the matches. Yes, yes, that was done purposely as well. But yes, I've been lots of people. Sorry, Adam. Who was the best losing tag team in Hammerlock history? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, there were people also in Hammerlock um, that would uh, place themselves, not just Hammerlock, in the FWA, would place themselves in very favourable positions, domineering positions. and it was, again, one of the downfalls of the FWA, poor management, poor management. And if we don't learn from those lessons, it's going to keep repeating itself. So I'm sure not being experienced in AEW, um, but if AEW is going to survive, it's got to avoid um, doing the same thing. I mean, because Liam, they obviously they've got Tony Khan as the the main guy, the booker, the 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 one, you know, the the equivalent. I mean, one thing you can say about the WWE is at least you know who to go to for any decisions. Ultimately, it's it's Vince, and and in in AEW, it's Tony Khan. But then we do have you know the um the 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 guys who kind of helped to create AEW, I believe they're like executive vice presidents, like the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and and Kenny Omega. Um, Is there a danger somewhere down the line that they might start pulling the strings in their favor a bit too much? Or if they, as they get older, they don't want to relinquish their top spots. You would hope not, especially considering the, uh, the journey these, these said wrestlers have all had where they've seen that. 
Uh, they've been on the receiving end of it. They've seen the wrong side. You'd like to think they're a little more wary of that situation. Um, it, it came out that, I mean, this is, this, this is from Tony Khan himself. So whether or not he has motive to lie to people's faces, we don't know. But I've got to say, because... Um, one of the members of my team at the, at the the Zone News website has actually managed to make good contact with Tony Khan, and we've had like exclusive interviews with TK on the on the website oh, cool. in recent months. I don't know if you I have to make sure I do share them on my personal Twitter at Liam Hat, but make sure I share them around a little bit more because I'm sure of a interest to our because those two listeners. Um, by all accounts, he's a, he's a very sound guy. Like, he gets on really well with. Uh, my guy who speaks to him and a uh, very well-known boxing journalist to put them in contact with each other. He speaks very highly of, of Tony Khan and, and this, that and the other. So there, there seems to be real no real reason for for anyone at this stage to not take his word for it. He says that, um, yeah, they're, they're not really involved in the creative process. Obviously, they're in a great position to to pitch certain for instance i'll give you like the uh, the omega young bucks hangman page storyline that went down really well long-term storyline everyone loved it it did have it did have omega and the bucks handprints all over it if you think of some of the storytelling they did in new japan progress and all that you can see they, they they were obviously very vocal in that creative process so there's that position especially for the evps to be able to to talk storylines and pitch ideas and obviously compared to the way things are in the wwe at the minute that's a good thing you you want i mean ideally you want everyone to be able to pitch things and and a little bit of filtering a little bit of pushback but but that's how it works you know wrestling's full of creative uh, vibrant, as you said, just in passionate people. The people who are in there right now are very passionate. That's why they're there. That's why they're, they're not at home for most of the year, etc., etc. Um, so I, I, I like to think that's absolutely spot on. By the sounds of things, uh, the EVP tags are they're mostly applied to the fact that uh, Kenny Omega is very hands-on with their gaming department. They've got a couple of games available on mobile. They've got a proper full-blown video game coming. Who knows when? It'll probably take a little bit longer. But from the little teasers they've shown, there's going to be, to just to tie us back to WCW again, it looks like there's a bit of inspiration from WCW NWO Revenge, one of the most popular video games of all time. You can see that sort of oh, WCW game. slash video game fan coming yeah. into that. So they're very hands-on with that. I believe one of the Bucks and their spouse are very heavily involved in the merchandising situation so when they are when they are addressed as evps it comes down to more than just who wins on the show yeah they're they're very involved but but from what tony khan said as far as creatively goes no no, the buck stops with him and he will veto things he doesn't want to do this is his overall vision um to answer your question gun yeah sorry go i was just going to answer your question because the one thing i think I'd, i'd add to this to this uh alphabet soup is the fact we've got to remember that since all those years ago when we were all knee-high to a grasshopper and WCW was actually successful against WWE, since then, one of the a lot of things have changed, but the big thing that's changed is that WWE have gone public and they are an absolute juggernaut. This is not yeah. any sort of attempts to compete with WWE is nothing like the Monday Night Wars. This is, as TNA saw this firsthand, it is it is David and Goliath, and you ain't got a slingshot, yeah. and you ain't got the made-up fable that makes it possible 
that a slingshot could actually give you a hope in hell, really. So, yeah. um, and, and I suppose another thing to consider is like when when WCW started turning things around, it was directly linked to Hulk Hogan coming in and a guy with you know that bigger name, that bigger legacy, and we've discussed and this, haven't we? That yeah. big an ego, yeah. And maybe they so with the creative control contract, maybe they sold their soul to cool. uh, to to get that dalliance. It's just that little brush with being the number one company. So I think the best thing that AEW can do is, as much as everyone wants to be number one, everyone wants to compete, everyone wants to beat and be better than, I think AEW need to have a good grasp of the cold hard fact that the WWE will always be the household name. This is how capitalism works. This is how going public works. They are the juggernaut. But AEW and all the other promotions, wrestlers, that that little amazing little period of independent wrestling we had from about 2013, 2014, all the way up to the formation of AEW, where certain special talents were coming through and, 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 and certain promotions were doing better things than most indies were doing. That is showing that there is absolutely room in the market for a second mainstream thing. And that is what AEW have done uh, with their TV. Yeah, being, they being can, alternative. They like, I mean, like ECW was, like WCW was, yeah. I mean, exactly. But, but I suppose there's, like we, you know, there's, as I said, there's, there's, no, there's no Hulk Hogan level guy with a Hulk Hogan level ego. I mean, I suppose, would it be fair to say, folks, that the... the Biggest name that AEW brought in externally was probably Chris Jericho, and and he's got no ego on him in that respect. I mean, he'll put anyone over if the time and the situation is right. He's Terry Funk, that. isn't he? He's their yeah. ECW Terry Funk, really. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Jericho lose many a time before, but I mean, yeah, I suppose Justin, you'd know this from 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 your experience as well. The event, you know. The, if it and we saw this in the FWA as well, I think if things get a bit too ridiculous, the fans will see through it and reject it. Ah, this has happened. This has happened, and it's um, it's not going to stop happening either. Um, at the moment, AEW is on a hot trend. People are seeing it as a really good alternative to the WWE. Um, let's just see if it will last. Let's see if it will last. If it's got that sustainability to it, um, that's that's going to be the test. We still we're still early doors with AEW. Yeah. If we really look at it, so yeah, it's just it's just waiting to see if they can continue to provide the type of uh, TV that they have been doing. Yeah, and I think Adam, I'm sure you must have, especially as you get further in your career. As the you're now the the veteran, you know, do you do you have a if you had a situation where you've been asked to put someone over that you don't think is is ready to or is good enough to be moving up the card, or, or do you just suck it up and? No, I don't think I'll just suck it up and just because I'm there to entertain, I'm there to do a job. At the end of the day, I'm I'm there to rest. I mean, I, I've still got the passion for wrestling, and the passion is there is always for me. And like. The promoter asks me to do a job, then I'll do it. I'm not got no ego about it. Like, no, yeah. I must win or I must do this, I must do that. I mean, I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of wrestlers with them egos. And if the wrestler can put them egos aside, then they got to sort of look at the the wrestling industry as a, as an entertainment package nowadays. You know what yeah. I mean, yes, there are like 
I still think of wrestling is wrestling, and I am a, I can call myself a pro wrestler, which that thing is that that word beforehand is the professional part. You have got to be professional in all mm. in all aspects of the wrestling business. To promoter asks you to do something, you you do it. If you disagree with it, then you go to the promoter in a professional manner, professional way, see what you can do to alter that outcome. If you know what I mean. Yeah. But with AEW, if you look at AEW, their fans are more older than what the WWE fans are. The WWE's audience is more family orientated, whereas AEW yeah. is more young teenagers like getting into their 20s, you know what I mean, late 20s. So they yeah. understand more, so they can push the envelope a little bit more than what WWE can. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. That links us into a second question. Um, which is related in the way. Um, how much do you think Vince would sell the rights to the library and name trademark of WCW to Tony Khan for? And I suppose that then would would Tony Khan would AEW want want the WCW history in their ownership? Yes, they would want it. No, they are not ever going to get their hands on it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty cut and dry. I have to say that question cut and dry because let's face it, AEW has uh, has gone to great efforts, and I think I don't want to speak for you three, but given that we're here on what is primarily a WCW nostalgia podcast, I feel like it's safe to say that anyone that has lived across that bridge from the 2001 demise to the return of having a credible mainstream alternative, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that Shiovani's there. I appreciate that there's so many little nods where they make sure that Juventud Guerrero gets like a one-off match. And they... They get they they managed to get their hands on the Bash at the Beach trademark because that's one of the ones they they left and they didn't pick up. They they they're making this very clear transition from WCW. They're making all the references. Arn and Tully get up in each other's faces. Tully wants to attack Sting, and to be honest, those two in their in their 60s 70s could probably have a belt in singles match. I feel like they're actually going to run that at one point, and we're actually going to eat it up with a spoon. Um, but all these little references show that yeah, if there was ever a way for them to have it that that would be perfect for them and they would love it but on the flip side of course no Vince is not going to sell it to anyone uh, and why would he be his whole business mentality it's interesting. It, it's interesting the question got posed though because many people are speaking about um, Vince is probably getting ready to sell up and just apart, um, I was speaking to my friend Alex. He was uh, telling me that Vince has recently sold one of his many mansions. Um, I can't remember where where he said the mansion was located, but Greenwich, um, Connecticut. yeah, great, yes. And um, I don't know. It's interesting because he is seemingly putting all of his pieces in place to possibly make way for a departure. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I agree with you, Leon, that uh, the chances of Vince selling that stuff is very low. Very low. Very low indeed. Yeah, I have to say, uh, yeah, I, I, I stand by that, that the chance of Vince selling are non-existent because of who Vince is. But if we're to explore that hypothetical, I mean, you say I say hypothetical, but yeah, the, the signs are show that there could be a... a 
a situational one day in the near future where uh, Vince does sell and the man's do sell WWE. Now, if this were to happen, it looks like the likely destinations are something like Disney. They would sell to another conglomerate like Disney. Now, if that were to happen, I don't see the mentality changing. A conglomerate is not just going to go, ah, oh, well, this this little bit thing we got here, it seems like it'd be better yeah. for you. Yeah, sure, you have it. We'll sort you out. No, businesses don't think that way. It's my main, 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 main. Gimme, 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 gimme. And yeah. we, I, I would go as far as to say that it could be to an even more extreme degree than Vince does because obviously Disney have been at this for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. And I'll tell you something else that's really interesting speculation. I was talking to uh, to a friend of mine who is he's he's a businessman with a good knowledge of business, but he's also a wrestling fan. And um, apparently, I, I don't know this myself, but um, apparently Nick Khan, who is like the um, WWE's um, CEO, I think these days, isn't he? Um, his history in other companies is when he's been able to kind of sweeping out as much of the the previous personnel and putting new people in entirely which then makes you think if if uh, vince retires it could very well not be triple h taking over but tony Khan, not uh, tony Khan, but nick <laughs> Khan taking up not, the not name on the contract does <laughs> say <laughs> but yeah it could easily be nick Khan rather than triple h taking over and stephanie taking over the company or that you know they could be uh they could be ousted if that happens. So, it's, it, you know, it's, it's pure speculation on my well, part. Well, the, yeah, the other be. thing about Nick Khan is that he apparently has a big background in preparing companies for a sale. Yes. He seems to be one. He, he's very good at, at trimming. Or I say very good at like it's like it's something someone should be proud of. No, because it's like just being in loads of fucking jobs and what have you. But, uh, but yeah, that is what he's talented at doing. And... He he can do so in a very ruthless manner that maximises profit, which is what they're all about, obviously. So, yeah. But yeah, that's what it looks like he's gearing to do is to is to make them as shop window friendly as possible. Okay, next question. Um, this is an, an interesting one. If the Shockmaster didn't fall flat on his ass, well, he's more <laughs> flat on his face, wasn't it? But if the Shockmaster didn't fall flat on his face, do you believe? Fred Ottman's character would have made a greater impact in WCW's 1993 main event scene because, let's face it, yeah, when he came in, I mean, he was his his angle was with uh, the British Bulldog and Sting and Sid Vicious, and it was right at the top of the uh, of the card. So he was obviously, yeah, he was originally meant he to be a the um, winning war games, didn't he? It was yeah, it was a war games match. Yeah, so he was meant to be a a big name, but um, Adam, you had a a chuckle there. What are your thoughts on that one? Fuck no. (laughs) I mean, why? (laughs) Why? I mean, he was introduced as the Shockmaster under a a different voice, right? So you wouldn't recognise his voice. It was something like a a bad dubbed audio. Um, And he come bursting through a wall, fell over his big plumbering feet with with a stormtrooper with glitter on it. Stormtrooper helmet with glitter on it. How is that going to work? Oh, sorry, because of WCW, obviously, isn't it? <laughs> that that is um, on my card, absolutely. Now, would he have wrestled with if that if they went with that initial that initial get up, and then they changed the get the, the his his look, didn't they? they? They got rid of the helmet and everything, didn't they? So yeah, it was more in like denim and yeah, yeah, yeah. like a, tr- a um 
like a trucker sort of, wouldn't it? Sort yeah, of. trucker or construction yeah. worker or something like that, which yeah, yeah I guess isn't isn't the uh, isn't a main event look, I suppose, is it? No. The gimmick itself was, I think, um, created on the fly. Um, the, the mask, the mask, as Adam said, told us everything. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much, how much the fans would have bought into it. Um, I don't think it would have had legs to carry to carry through. Um, it's just it's not not a character that someone could have got behind in my eyes. Um, so yes, after the stumble, there there was no no coming back from that. But even if he didn't fall, I don't think he would have carried on too much further. Because Liam was dust. I'm trying to think at that point in time, Dusty Rhodes wasn't anywhere near booking, was he? It was it was Ole Anderson that was booking at that stage. Yeah, Ole was voicing the fucking was, well, yeah. thing, wasn't he? Uh, I think when when it was said that about him falling flat on his ass, isn't that a reference to what won the rest of the saying? Oh, Dave, camera, yeah, if yeah. You, yeah, if you listen carefully, he's like, oh my God, he's fallen flat on. I thought it was flat on his fucking face. I thought it was his face flat on his fucking face. Did he say that? Yeah, if you listen carefully, you can, I, I mean, feel like someone said now, he fell on his, on his ass. So I think yeah. that's what that was referencing, but I could be wrong. That's, a, that's another debate for another day. Uh, but yeah. but, I mean, Justin, you surprised me by thinking that they put the whole thing together on the fly. I mean, that's very unlike WCW. They never did things like that. <laughs> it was because of WCW. What are you talking about? Come on. Oh, dear. I, I tell you something, doing things on the fly. I, I remember there's a, there's a time in, in Hamelot where, um, where Doug and I had a car accident on the way back from a show. We got, we had a head on car crash with a drunk driver, me and uh, Doug Williams. And, um, I, we went to hospital and obviously we we're both fine after, you know, we stayed overnight in the hospital we released the next morning. All was fine. One of the things that I had was like a, a foam neck collar yeah. and, uh, being in wrestling, of course, you never throw these things away. And, uh, I remember like the, <laughs> The next show, I, I remember giving you the neck collar and saying, yes. can, you, can you do anything with this? And <laughs> you, I remember Ashford Stower Centre. Was that what it was? With gimmick neck brace, yes, that was fantastic. Fantastic, you know. But Dean, why, did you, why you, didn't you give uh, him your voice distorter? Sorry, what? Why didn't you give him your glittery mask and voice distorter? Why are you just giving him like these two bob things? Huh? If you want him to be, if you want Justin to be a star, you give him a glittery mask and a voice distort. That is what those those stories. Yeah. He short changed you. I'm sorry about that. We we were doing it in, in, in baby steps, you know. But I mean, yeah, because I think it was Adam was wrestling and you were like his second because yes, you, that's you, right. You were injured and. Yeah, that's it. Was every, every time the ref's back was turned, you took the collar off and you choked the wrestler. Choked him with it, yay. Uh, although my, my, my favourite gimmick of the two you did, and this was, I remember, clear as, a, clear as, clear as day, this was Maidstone, Moat Park um, Centre, and it was the opening match, and I think it was you against Alex Shane with Adam hidden under the ring, and it was basically oh, a gimmick... God. A gimmick where you would stamp your foot three times, boom, 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 on the canvas, and like throw Alex out, and then 
that's that stamping on the canvas was the signal to Adam to come out from under the ring, attack Alex, and then go back yeah. under the ring before the ref <laughs> could turn around again. And I've never seen a crowd get so angry for an, for an early contest to the card. It, Alex it then took that too much. So again, no, Justin. That, that actually worked a little too well uh, because after about the third time that we pulled that off, um, people just jumped, jumped out of their seats, jumped over the barriers and started attacking Adam. And they, they scratched his back up. Uh, we had one wrestler in the audience at the time. He had to jump the barrier and drag some of the fans off of Adam. Monk Park, had quite, yeah, Monk Park had quite a history for the fans attacking wrestlers. We had a, we had a riot uh, there, yeah, where me, Andre, yeah. Johnny Storm and Mike White, the ref, were in the ring yeah. booting, literally booting people in the face to stop them getting yeah. in the ring. Yeah. yeah, and I had to rugby well, tackle a fan yeah. once when they were trying to get to someone. <laughs> But yeah, I remember that that gimmick with stamping on the in the on the ring. Eventually, didn't didn't Alex do it himself? And then you came yeah. out, Adam, and he smacks you in the face, yeah. and that's yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 like my my point of view from it, like when I slid on, like the, I I came from backstage and then actually get the shot and then slid under the ring. But then when they said then you got to hear the free stamps. When I'm hiding underneath the ring, I couldn't differentiate the three stumps because all the feet I could hear all these different movements in the, all the, in the ring. So yeah. I could all the bumps. I couldn't differentiate the three stumps. So the only way I could find out, or the only way I could time it right, is when Justin threw Alex out, and I could see through the ring apron because it was dark underneath the ring, and because of the lights, uh, light in the ring, I could see Alex through the through the ring apron. So when Alex was thrown out into the ring apron, I had to count. Okay, is that the free stomps? Is that the free stomps? Or is that the free? I'm just going out. Boom, 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 boom. I think it was after the second one we had to cut it short because they were getting because that's when the fans attacked me. Because all I see, right, is I was there finding Alex and I felt all this mob just mobbing me actually ripped my unitard and was scratching me back and I had to like try and shuffle my way back underneath the ring because I was helpless. I saw Justin fly out of the ring. First time I see him fly out or jump from the ring. <laughs> and then I see another, I see Tony McMillan flying over the barricade. And I see Justin getting into some, into two people's faces. And I see uh, Tony McMillan just bear hugging another, another fan just to try and get him off me. <laughs> you know, that was crazy. And I don't think we could leave the building after that. We had to hide. <laughs> yeah. For, um, the, only, the only other place I can think of that had crazy fans, and I've never worked there myself, but I've heard the stories, was uh, Melksham in um, Wiltshire. Ah. Oh. You, you worked there a few times, didn't you, JR? Yes, yeah. I've been there for a few of their, um, a few of their riots. They had regular riots. <laughs> <laughs> they had regular riots there. I've, I've never encountered fans as... as Crazy, as wild um, as the fans in Melcham. Um, absolutely insane. I'll, I'll have to save the stories for Melcham another day because there, there are quite a few of them. <laughs> it's another podcast. Of course, you didn't instigate them, did you? Yeah, <laughs>
Uh, so, um, so as going back to the question, as far as the shock master goes, do we think even if he'd have made a spectacular entrance that where everything went well, that eventually he'd have gone back down the card? It's, sort of it's Fred Ottman for crying out loud. <laughs> of course. Lovely fella from all accounts, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. Which one mid-card or lower-card talent were you surprised was never a main eventer? Surprised? I mean, yeah. I mean, to, hmm. for, for me, the obvious one, as far as WCW is concerned, is, is Steve Austin. I mean, because the guy was so talented. Yeah. Obviously, you know, the famous story yeah. of Bischoff saying that a guy in black boots and trunks will never get over and obviously went to WWE and became the biggest selling merch, biggest merch seller of all time and one of the biggest stars in, in history. But I mean, we've, we've seen this, some of, uh, some of his early matches in WCW, Liam, haven't we? And we've, we've said it's amazing how he could, you know, he could, he could hang in there with, with the, the best of them, even after just a few years of wrestling. Yeah. No, no one, can honestly say they saw him become the next Hulk Hogan, but absolutely he had he he was right there waiting to be, you know, like a, a, a big main event guy in WCW. The fault he had he had all the tools to to easily go up and just fight. You know, you can you can just he's one of them guys where you watch him do his thing in the mid card and you think, oh, can you imagine him and Sting one day? Because that's the natural thinking you tend to get, isn't it? And that leads me to my pick would probably be Raven. And the reason I pick Raven, especially for this one, is that it surprises me given that there seemed to be a point when I was younger in 1998 where even though it was looking alarming that they weren't going to actually put any fresh faces in the main event, um, you were starting to see Raven make more sort of or at least his likeness was making more mainstream images. He was on the video games. He was mm. on the magazines. He was getting these sort of um, openings that the only other guy who was suddenly getting this sort of real estate, getting this sort of uh, exposure, who wasn't already a main event, was DDP. And DDP was one yeah. of the few people they actually allowed to to go all the way up because, you know, I like DDP, but it was because of his connections that he managed to break that glass ceiling. And um, it's vicious. And so, and so it looked like when he was on the video games and whatever, and he was having these these hot things with Goldberg and whatever, it, it didn't seem out of place to say, can you imagine him and Crow Sting? Can you imagine him and Randy Savage? And it seemed natural, but it never happened. And the next 12 months for him, uh, you know, he had a good hardcore run. He had a great tag team run with Perry Saturn. But a year later, after being on the video, he was gone. He was gone from the company. He was fed up. So that one surprised and you, yeah. me. And you talk about Macho Man. Really, it was that program that DDP had with the Macho Man that actually made him a, yeah. a star, wasn't oh, it? Macho and Raven, can you imagine? That easy yeah. stuff. Justin, what about you? Anyone that you can... Um... Think of the question is tricky because um, it asks, you know, who I was surprised wasn't uh, pushed in the main event. Um, that's a tough one. Um, might not be allowed, but I want to change that question slightly to who would I, who would I have liked to have been 
pushed yeah. as a main eventer. And that that can be easy. For me, um, people like Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko, definitely one of my favorites. So many people have said to me that um, as a wrestler, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But as a performer, as an actual entertainer, he's boring, dull, very in the grey area. So he'd never be put as a main eventer. But just for his wrestling expertise, um, Dean Malenko definitely I'd put up there as one of my favourites. Yeah. Someone like um, probably Paul Roma. I thought Paul Roma had so much to offer. So much to offer, but um, there's another ego that probably wouldn't have allowed him to be put in a main event position. His ego would have would have stopped him from being put there. Um, well, yeah, we've, those, um, those we've, we've covered the match for him and Alex Wright that got him fired. Um, yes. That's uh, yes. hilarious to watch in hindsight. I think that yeah, the, the interesting thing with Malenko is from what I what I heard was that, um, I mean, I've never met the, the guy, but from what I've heard backstage, he was like really quick-witted, really funny, really sharp. And for some reason, whatever that reason was, it never translated onto the screen. Because I remember him getting a tryout in WWE as a, a commentator on a, you know, in a dark a dark tryout. And and again, it didn't it didn't quite translate. But I mean, we, we saw him as a very a very well-functioning member of an, an incarnation of the four horsemen and the, you know the four horsemen are are main in main event caliber but he was part of that group but I, you know i know what you mean he was you know he was only ever part of that group he was never a, a main eventer in his own his own right and that was probably as far as like pecking order of wcw that's probably the highest he ever got in that company i think so even though even his position with, um, oh God, was it the Radicals? Yeah. Was it the Radicals? Yeah, WWF. That, yeah. Oh, WWF. Um, Revolution. Was he not in, yes, was it Revolution? With, the Revolution. With WC, in WCW? Yeah. Yeah. Even that wasn't really elevated to a, a position where it could have ran. It was, it was put in there as a filler. And um, that that's where that's where WCW placed a lot of very good talent in a filler position on the card, rather than try to elevate them to 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 be somewhere where it would garner interest. They just throwaway, a throwaway um, group, a throwaway faction yeah. uh, in a throwaway position. And and I think thinking about modern day wrestling. I I think I don't know what you think about this, Adam, but um, you know, you're someone who you, you follow modern day WWE probably the most closely out of all of us on the air. But when you get the the money in the bank match, there always seems to be a real excitement and anticipation among fans because generally speaking, if you win that money in the bank match, you are winning the world title. And a, a lot of the time, we've seen fresh faces get put in there, like. Dolph Ziggler or Jack Swagger, and, and they get up, you know, they get into that level, and obviously not all of them stay at that level, but it's it's a chance to see a fresh face in there. Yeah, of course, yeah, because it's always got to be fresh face, like because the fans could easily get uh, 
well, we'll easily get bored because there's so much exposure now. So they need that next face to um, sort of like be the head of the company. Um, I suppose with the money in the bank concept, yes, it's a good idea for the company just to get that next person. Who could be the next person that could lead this juggernaut of a company to the next level? Are they, is that going to be that next person, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and and going back to the original question, is there anyone in in WCW that you would have liked to have seen in the main event spots that wasn't? I see. I had a, I, I was thinking about this very carefully, and then I thought of Brian Pillman, and then because he was like, yeah. he was he was he was so talented as a worker as well in his early days, and sort of his mental state got the better of him, didn't he? Um, and how he was, he's so. He, he was so unpredictable, and then then I thought of Steve Austin, of course, because what Steve Austin did with the WWE or WWF, um, and then another one just popped into my head: William Regal, Stephen Regal. Mm. He would have been fantastic in a main event spot, just because his different style of because of his British style of wrestling. How would he have fared against like the Stings and the Hogans and the things in the main event? You know, he would have yeah. been a great main eventer. Well, we Sorry, do. can we... I just jump in and just yeah. ask uh, Dean and Liam? Um, was, wasn't Pillman being lined up for a main main event push before he had that big accident? Wasn't he being like <laughs> all primped and primed, ready to go up to a main event position? Uh, we say in the watch-alongs, don't we, Dean, that it looked like before everything hit the fan with mm. like him pretending to be out of contract and, and then he really was out of contract and he sodded off and he got into an accident. It looked like the whole thing was was that he was actually going to be the member of the horseman that actually destroyed the group. Mm. Everything Ooh. was looking him like, wasn't it? it uh, he was he was causing them all that despair and arms oh, yeah. trying to hold it together. It felt like he was actually just gonna watch watch them burn, cause more trouble, and then just abandon them. Uh, which you know is very it's, it, it seemed very Shakespearean tragedy, didn't it? Like that sort of thing, like let, letting in that element that ends yeah. up being toxic and destroying you from within. But then uh, also, yeah, you've also be. got the, you know, the, again, the fact that you, you're working with the horsemen, so that is pushing you up to that that upper upper level again. So yeah, that that was something. But then also, um, when when he kind of created his own buzz off the very the very early internet with, as you said, Liam, about you know the whole angle about you know him being out of contract and being fired and all that, and he they even had in one of the one of the early nitros they had. He, they had him turn up in the audience um, with a banner advertising his own premium rate hotline, which he was running <laughs> at the time. And they basically, like, they threw him out without, I think I'm right in saying, without acknowledging who it was on, you know, almost, they just, they just did it as if it was a legitimate disruptive fan and just remove him from there. They gave but him then, just enough camera space to make sure people saw it. Brilliant. But then didn't obviously didn't like make those obvious tropes of, oh, brilliant. this is very clearly, look at they're going straight to it. Of course they want us to see it. Yeah. But then, um, 
then this was around the time of the the fun um, the the triple tower of doom cage uh, uncensored and um and basically hulk, hulk hogan wanted uh, pillman to be one of the eight people that he'd knock off because he saw how hot pillman was and pillman saw the writing on the wall and was made sure he was nowhere near that match so that so that really was a main event position that would have been a main event position if that would have come into fruition Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, basically, yeah. basically, even if uh, there was a storyline where he ended up being remembered in history as the man who single-handedly destroyed the Four Horsemen and ended their run, and there were no more reunions, even if he had that great sort of claim to fame, which is like a big thing to mm-hmm. put on your heel resume, isn't it? He still would have been shoehorned into losing an eight-on-two handicap match. So, yeah, probably no matter, with every one step forward, there was always going to be two or three back by the company. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that makes me think, I'll start with you, Adam, because, you know, you've worked as a heel as, as just as much as a face. What's, what's the most dastardly thing you've done as a heel? In, oh. a, in, a, in a match or in an angle, yeah, whatever, however you've been booked. Oh, what you, you, yeah, what's, what's oh. got the like the biggest oh. reaction from the crowd? Oh, now there's a good question for you. Oh, I, you know what, I can't think. I'm just, I'm just dastardly no matter what, you know, especially, well, if me and Justin are tagging, we've been dark. What, been dark. I think I'm most dastardly if I'm, if I was tagging with Justin or, if you was managing me and Dean, you know, I've been dastardly that way. You know, what, but I can't... About, okay, what about you, Justin? That might trigger something with Adam, actually, if you... Is it, what can you think of? The old um, Eddie Guerrero um, thing where yeah. he pick, gets the belt, the referee's back is turned, Eddie throws the belt at his opponent, Eddie takes a bump, lays down as if he's knocked out, the referee turns around, Sees the opponent with the belt, Eddie on the floor, he disqualifies the opponent. Now, yeah. there was something similar that I used to do years before Eddie did it. <laughs> and that was with the wrist tape. Um, right. I used to take wrist tape off, choke my opponent, throw it out of the ring um, later on in the match, take my second uh, piece of wrist tape off, choke my opponent. Then wrap the piece of loose wrist tape around my opponent's wrist, fall on the floor, holding my throat. The referee will turn, look at the opponent, look at me, choked, and notice there's loose wrist tape on my opponent's <laughs> wrist, which was the same colour as the wrist tape my opponent was wearing. So he'd get a public warning from that. And uh, that, was, that was always a fun one that would get the crowd pretty annoyed. That was uh, quite ghastly, I, I remember. Ah, oh, public, you know, public warnings are something that I, I miss so much in wrestling. And obviously it's never, never happened in, in America. It doesn't happen anymore in the, U, in the UK. But they were such an easy way of telling a story and getting heat. Oh, and, yes. I got them all the time at school. I wasn't a wrestler, <laughs> but I got them all the time at school. <laughs> So, I mean, for, for our overseas fans or even for our modern British fans who aren't aware of it, it's basically a, a referee could give you 
um, two public warnings. So almost like a, a yellow card in football, but you'd, you'd yeah. get two of them. Yeah. So you'd get a first public warning for, for doing something you know, against the rules that the referee caught, a second public warning, and then after that, any further breaking of the rules would be a, a disqualification. Obviously, yeah. you could do something really bad that would be an instant disqualification, same as in football, you can do something really bad that's an instant red card. But yeah, it's it just a great way of telling an, another dimension of a story. I guess it was a long game. Yeah. Go and ahead. The last, thing I've done is I've took a, uh, like a pair of nuts or something like that, or like a gimmick, and I've sort of hit my opponent with the gimmick. And then as he's fallen on the deck with the referee's back turned, I've hidden the gimmick inside his tights. And then, of course, I'll be going down selling. And I'm thinking, he's got something, he's, he's just hit me, ref. he's just hit me with something in his tights. And the referee would check the tights and, OK, you've just hit him. So that would be like a dastardly thing I've done, I suppose, with that. So it'd get the, the opponent disqualified, which get the amount of feet. So no, he's used it, he's used it. No, I didn't, no, I didn't, you know. Yeah, That's I, always a good one. Well. I remember that one. There was, I think, it was like a big famous WF match that used that really well. Was it the Rock and Ken Shamrock at uh, Royal yeah, Rumble, yeah. where he's yeah. hit Shamrock yeah. with the knucks, yeah. put them in Shamrock's yeah. tights. He's gone for the pin. You know, he's got him unconscious. I might as well pin him, but he's kicked out. So he's kept trying to like beat him, and then he's got caught up in the ankle lock, and he's got yeah. pulled to the middle, and he's tapped out. He's like, oh fuck, I've been, I've been t- you know, He kicked out of the brass knuckles. I've, I've been put in the ankle lock. I've had to tap out. I've lost my title. So then, and only then, he's gone. Riff! Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he did this so that he could put me in the ankle lock he missed it so he's got oh, alright fine I'll, I'll check I, I, I saw him win with the ankle lock I know you submitted right do you have any brass knuckles of course I don't what's this reversal and then and then yeah. Shamrock snaps like he always does which was even better yeah. oh, you got to have a thick skin to be a referee haven't you but do you, you know something <laughs> else actually that this made me think is when you're talking about um, as he was in WCW, Lord Stephen Regal, there was um, there was a match that he had with Sting because we covered it on um, was it one of the Great American Bash Great shows American not Bash too long 96, ago? Ninety six, yeah. Ninety six, yeah. Um, Sting won cleanly, um, which you'd expect, but I mean it was it was quite a different match to what you normally get from Sting, wasn't it? If Sting I always volunteered to go out and wrestle these guys, even though like he had the higher status. You know, we always sing the praises of that Nitro match between Sting and Dean Malenko. Yeah, Sting and you got Sting and Cactus. Go out there. Yeah. yeah, Sting and Cactus at um, Beach Bars 92 as well. And yeah, it was. Um, it's definitely worth go, go, going out of your way to have a look at because it's, yeah, it's, it's basically Sting wrestling Regal's style of match, which is basically yeah. an easy night for him because, you know, there's no massive amounts of bumps. It's lots of mat work and that, but... I seem to remember the crowd were a bit quiet for it. That's the only thing I'd say. They, the crowd didn't quite buy into it, and they only came to life when Sting started some of his trademark offense. This but, is the um, thing that when you've got someone in that new role, and so it, it weren't like there was this bit. I know they did a couple of like last-minute slapdash heel attacks face segments, didn't they? And they had to show that on the pay-per-view so people actually saw it because otherwise it was on like Saturday night or worldwide or something. Um, but there really wasn't that, that much of a heater. That that reason mm. that, that Regal was, you know, he, he, he'd won a few matches in a row and he referenced it in the Nitro promo. You know, I'm on a hot streak, so I want to fight Sting. Sting accepts. 
there's one attack that no sod saw live the first time. That's not much of a hit. There you can you can bring someone up to that level with a bit more elaborate, and that's what I think it lacked. That's why people saw it as a throwaway, and they were right. I've got to say though, with that question you've asked, Dean. I'm not a professional wrestler who can give an actual first-hand answer. So instead, I'm just going to, once again, for the billionth time, I'm going to cast I'm gonna cast reference to that time on Nitro that we saw Ric Flair knock someone out cold with a foreign object in the middle of a ring, <laughs> drag them from the middle of the ring to the corner so he could put two feet on the ropes with the pin, even though they're unconscious from brass knuckles. And Brilliant. then after the bell, after he's got the free, he rakes the poor sod's eyes. <laughs> we bring this up every week on this because we still laugh about it to this day. We've got to track down that episode. We've got to figure out exactly what one it is and make sure everyone watches it. Absolute shit or, or get someone like uh, Larry Atto on um, on uh, Twitter who does the gifts. Just he to has find the gift, yeah. Yeah, because it is absolute shit It really is. Um, okay, talking about mid carders and main eventers and that. This is a, a links into this next question. Um, so this is this is kind of specific to something, but I think we'll we'll mo- more likely branch off into uh, kind of philosophy of how things should be done. Um, where could or should the new blood angle have gone if all of the young wrestlers hadn't had their legs cut off, and if creative control wasn't a thing, who might have risen to the top? So Liam, let's go to you for the, the actual specifics of the angle. And then I think we'll go to uh, Adam and Justin for um, thoughts about how older wrestlers can, can work with younger wrestlers and elevate younger wrestlers without downplaying themselves, generally speaking, because obviously you, especially yourself, Adam will be in that, that, that position more nowadays. And you would have worked with older guys when you were younger yourself. But Liam, let's talk about the actual new blood angle itself. Okay, so, and I think I've said this before, so apologies to anyone who's heard my opinion on this in the past, but it's the, in my opinion, it is the only answer to this question. And I will, given my attachment to a certain part of this, it's something I always go on a rant about. But uh, for me, the New Blood versus Millionaires Club angle, as it was known in 2000, with Russo and Bischoff involved, was doomed to fail. It was never going to succeed. Uh, it was always going to be just an absolute mess between two people. It's not necessarily too many cooks spoil the broth, but they're two particular cooks that should never be in the same kitchen at the same time. It was an argument to be made. They both should have been given kitchen bans for life by that point, even by themselves, uh, given that they're both overseen like untold failures in 99 the previous year. And speaking of 99, this, this, this is why... Uh, the what-ifs come back to a year before uh, we actually got the New Blood Millionaires Club because basically the reason why that was an idea on the table that the two of them were able to to oversee was because it was something that the company almost did in 99. They didn't because uh, they were getting to that point where they were really starting to see ratings drop down. As we always say on this podcast, the, the creative direction of WCW started to hit the fan, starting with that Starcade 97 main event mm. botch, and then 98 was just, they were basically just trying to do the wrong thing at every turn with some of their storylines, and it was getting annoying and confusing, and even when Goldberg came along, they they were just 
treated the wrong way. But they were still hot. They were still selling big numbers at big crowds. There's always a dissonance. There's always a delay to when people and when fans, and this is something I can speak to firsthand as a long-time fan. You guys are all long-time fans as well. If a, if a product that you that you have loved and you're loyal to is shit, you don't run away from it after one shit episode. But after six to nine months, you're like, what the hell has happened to this? Why am I going to bother? Think of those TV shows you watch where you're like, you know, one seasons one to four are amazing. Season five was crap. Am I going to watch season six? Of course, but if five, six, seven are crap, you're done, sort of mm. thing. Um, and as things were hitting the fan, it looked like they were going to try something really interesting to keep going. And we had this period where Ric Flair, for whatever reason, had turned heel again, and Hulk Hogan, had, for whatever reason, had turned face again, but he got injured, so he was gone, which is a good thing, because he's, he's the biggest obstacle to most of these things. And over the spring of 99, there were little things happening where... Young, so younger, I mean, most of them were 30s to mid-30s, but obviously still 10 years younger than the main eventers, were like yeah. actually complaining about this on air, which was unheard of. It was different. Uh, and even Dean Malenko, we say about Dean Malenko apparently not having mic skills. I'll, I'll remember this for the rest of my life, just how well we went out there and very angrily said that if you want to be put in the main event in WCW, you have to be 45 or older. And he didn't, he didn't hold anything Ooh. back. And he showed, he showed that when, when he's got a reason to, and he's got a real life passion, he can easily convey that on a, on a mic. Uh, and it just kept going on and it looked like they were going to go somewhere with it. And there was a sort of things where like, even though there was a feud between Piper and Flair over the presidency that no one wants to see, it ended with them actually both deciding to team up to beat the crap out of Buff Bagwell. And then they declared war because you had um, Benoit Malenko in the Horseman, but but Flair and Anson were actually starting to give them the shaft and treat them like second-rung people in the group. And that, fun enough, talking about the revolution, though, that's what led to the revolution. Shane Douglas come in and said, I hate Ric Flair. I know what he does. He's got Saturn. He's got Malenko. He's got Benoit. There were all these little steps, all these little clues to say that they were going to do this thing where the younger stars were all going to band together. And on the other side, you had DDP, who is now Hill, who was very much in league with Flair. And Sa- you had Savage and Flair like, basically buried the hatchet with each other. So they're on the same. Sid has come in. You've got this big collection of millionaire main event hills who can very much stand there and go no thou shall not pass to these young up-and-comers and it was like hang on a sec there's no hogan he's injured we've got the two the battle lines are forming i'm up for this and it just got dropped and as you said justin earlier it became um it basically became the revolution were doing mid-card tags and then when vince russo yeah. came along it became mm. and i get this to a certain extent but I also disagree with with how three of them were used. But he saw it as a way of getting Benoit away from them. He had the revolution turn heel on Benoit to promote Benoit as a star. Okay, you understand that. Benoit is the breakaway star of them. He's the one who could feasibly win a world title. But yeah, you can still do a lot more with... I mean, to be honest, with, with Shane Douglas at the helm as the hit as the big mouth hill, you can yeah. probably do even more with them like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it should have been a lot more than what it was. But for me, when I think of how, how that storyline worked, it wouldn't have worked Millionaire's Club New Blood. It would have worked a year earlier when they initially teased it. And 
one of my biggest regrets about those is they didn't run with that because well, when I first saw those little hints of that, I, w- I was really up for it. I was looking forward to it. And it never happened and the company never even came close to being good again. Because it's one of those angles where there's an element of reality involved that yeah. the fans realise and get behind. And I suppose actually, Justin, that that, that makes me think of the, the great storyline that we're involved in in the FWA of the old school than the new school, yeah. because that was based yeah. on, on reality of the old world of sport era stars that were still wrestling, not being perceived as not wanting to give their, their spots up to the younger generation like yourself and Adam coming through. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, new bloods, new faces, angles work. It works. It's a proven formula. Um, the downside to it, it, it does have a short shelf life. You can't continually run with that, with that angle. Um, it's pro wrestling, regardless, you know. So, so it can be reused, rehashed, mm. because the new faces will, in time, always become the old faces. And this will make way for the new new faces to come in and repeat the formula. This happens time and time again. Um, you can play it out in different ways, but as I say, it's it's got a short shelf life. You can't continually run too long with the same angle. Uh, it does need um, a use-by. Yeah, I mean, the, the old school angle in the FWA ran for what a year year and a half maybe yeah maybe just over a year but and obviously the 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 old school who are the heels um lost and the new the new faces won the day and and banished the old school from the promotion of course i mean when i say it has a short shelf life it, it really does but it does when the product is using uh, TV as a platform. With the FWA, we were touring around using the same, you know, the same angle. That, that, in that way, we can draw it out and make it last longer. Yeah. Because we're not returning to the same venue for another three months, four months, maybe. So we can draw that out. But when presented on television, it does have... have a shorter shelf life because yeah. people will get bored with seeing the same 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 angle plus in the uh, in the FWA it's got to be said like it might have run for a year and a half but it also fragmented didn't it because if you guys remember that that yeah. I, I I was there in attendance for what was seen as the feud ender for that and it was a tag title match between the only two members of the old school who are still on the roster and wrestling. Mark Sloan and Flash Barker. Challenging for the tag titles in, in the match before intermission <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a good match on the card. But by this point, you've got like... I can't, I'm trying to remember what the main event was that night, but I you've think got that was the, same, the Jody I think Fleischers the same and that show. in the main event. Yeah, I think that was the same show where you had a three-way match between Jody Fleisch, Doug Williams, and Christopher Daniels, and Chris Daniels won the title. Well, there, there um, you go. You've got yeah. things like that that are now the main event because, as Justin said, the, the old school, new school thing remained like the top story of the company for 
maybe nine months, and then you had Uprising, which was kind of, even though the, the storyline didn't end then, it, it's time as the prominent storyline yeah. faded. And like you see with a yeah. lot of feuds now, uh, yeah, it will have its big run, and, and it will kind of, it, it reaches a natural course, and obviously that natural course comes afterwards, and it can go, as long as it doesn't stay right there front and centre, it, it can last a little long. It can You can do the, uh, much like you had with um, the pinnacle and the inner circle in AEW, you can have the big blow-off, and then you've got a couple of little things where, you know, Guevara beats... Sean Spears in a in a good match on Dynamite to finish just that little bow that he ties up that bow on the on the feud yeah. a couple of months later. But for all intents and purposes, them being the big story happened like months prior, and yeah. and you and, see that a lot. It's like a it's a it's a natural course, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously you know any any wrestling company needs its its young new blood and it needs its it's veterans to guide the new yes. the new blood. And I yeah. mean, Adam, what, what sort of things would you say? Well, are there certain things that you little, little tricks, little tips, whatever it might be that you learned from veterans when you were coming into the business? I mean, like in Hamlet, we had obviously Andre Baker had been around for years. Dino Scarlo and Jackie Palo Jr. had been around since the seventies and you, you work with all of them. I mean, are there any, any tips or tricks that you learned from veterans when you were starting up that you're now, you've now passed on to the next generation below you? Well, the tips I've learned from like the old guys, as you say, I mean, one of them as well was John Ritchie. John Ritchie, of course. Yeah. Work with him. Um, they always say don't don't ever rush it. Just take your time and relax. Like John Ritchie always used to say to when I was wrestling in the ring with him, he says, "Relax, relax, relax." And that's what I say to the younger talent now. Because when you're ever in the ring, just relax and just let it go. You know what I mean? Just let the let the story of the match play out. It'll it'll come come to fruition. You don't have to get all your shit in all the time. You know what I mean? Because like it won't. Because if you if you put all your shit in into that one match, then what are you going to give them next time? Yeah. You know, um, that's the tips I've learned. You know what I mean? I mean, I can pull anything off. I mean, I can, at my age, I can still try and do a Frankensteiner, but I won't do it in every match. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <clears throat> just about with my fucking dart now, but there you go. But um, now I can, like, there's, there's a lot of moves that you can, you, you have all your moves and like, you learn all your moves in the training, but then you need to just like pick and, choose when you're going to do the moves and will it make sense? You know, that's the biggest thing. I mean, that was Andre's thing. It's like, when, you, when you're wrestling a match, make sure it makes sense, you know. And it's position on the on the card yeah, on the card and i'm sure we've all heard i won't i won't give the full version but uh the uh not in the opening match you yes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we yeah. all got yeah 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 so that's the <laughs> to the younger generation and, and this just, is continuing adam this goes on you know as yeah. you were told this you know, Andre was told it when he was coming through as well. Yeah. He used to tell me stories that, you know, the 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 old school, the established wrestlers before him yeah. would just stick him in a headlock and say, slow down, calm mm. down. And the younger generation today, in time, they'll go on to tell the new generation the same thing as well. Pro wrestling is a difficult book. To, to write and it takes a long time 
to get all the, the chapters together and everyone everyone who's been in the business for some time will tell stories of being told to calm down to take your time don't rush um this is common and this goes back many generations back and it will go many generations forward as well well, there's a there's a great story. I always remember of um, someone that you and I worked very closely with, Drew McDonald. Um, ah. Tremendous talent. I miss him so much. But um, yeah. he was. I I I've got a feeling it was a very young Nick Aldis that he was working against. But I might be wrong on that point. But it's basically it was Drew as the veteran against a very young wrestler, and it was you know, you know six five minute rounds or whatever. And um, and Drew said to him, "We won't touch." For the first round, we won't make any physical contact. And the, and the young wrestlers like, what on earth do you mean? What? How? How can we do that? And and basically, you know, the match began. The bell goes. Drew gets out of the ring, argue with the crowd. Eventually, you know, gets back in the ring. Isn't happy with the guy's boots or something. Gets the ref to check them. Then goes out the ring again. Then some. Then then gets counted that he's going to get disqualified if he doesn't come back in and basically just does everything but wrestle the guy and then before this young guy knows it ding ding the end of the round's gone and they haven't they haven't touched at all um but they have they have stirred up the crowd oh my god yeah yeah but i mean we do you remember we had that match in action with you against johnny storm with me managing you and you basically for, for the for the first five seven minutes of the match you put johnny in a headlock yeah. Because we were the old yeah. school and we weren't happy with these flippy floppy young wrestlers sort of thing. And but and John was John was one of the most popular stars at the time. They wanted to see him fly about. Yeah. So me sticking him in headlock, it it put the crowd in a position where we wanted. And um, yeah, they they played their part perfectly. But they never got. It was never the heat that they were getting bored. It was they were getting pissed off with us as you say in the way that they wanted john to bust out the flying moves yeah yes yes but yeah it's, it's knowing yeah it's knowing knowing when when to do things and what to but i mean another another person who is a very close friend of yours um aisha raymond um yes who, who i yeah. work with in in premier and we we had um we had a situation a few years ago where um I was managing her and her opponent came came to the venue and said, I had a match last night. I've done something to my back. I can't, I can, can't, you know, she's clearly having trouble moving and she it wasn't in a position really to take any bumps at all. And I think in the entire five round match, we had two bumps in the whole match and, the, and out of the whole show, ours was the one that got the best, best reaction from the crowd. Because <laughs> you just... <laughs> You don't have to do lots of stuff to get. Yeah. It's the it's like Jake Robertson said, isn't he, about emotions and the the wrestling moves are the motions, but the things people remember are the the emotions of how yeah. how you made them how you made them feel. Yeah. That's right. Cool. I mean, we, okay. we got, I mean, we got a good heat when we wrestled up in Scotland in the Bobby Deval's ring. Do you remember that ring, just where we oh, didn't God. take bumps? Bobby Deval. <laughs> We never took any bumps for the reason that the ring was made up of bits of broken wood, um, umbrellas. Up, uh, with an umbrella. Umbrellas. 
Umbrella that, holds that's up no the, joke yeah, either. That's no joke. That, yeah. That's serious. Yeah. That's serious. The the ring was the most oh wow shoddy, broken down, holy. Oh. But um, okay. yeah, we never took any bumps for that reason. That mm. self-preservation, really. We didn't want to hurt ourselves by bumping in a ring that would collapse at any moment. Jeez. But we still managed to get the heat somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah. how we work the um, the punters. Okay. Um, next question. Um, I guess this is the last serious question. We've got a couple of fun questions at the end. But um, was Jeff Jarrett really a horseman? Liam, let's start with you. Uh, and by the way, I mean the four horsemen, not the Hammerlock horsemen. The Hammerlock horsemen. Oh, God. <laughs> as oh, well, first You're off, yeah, first of all, I might as well point this out is that I seem to have found, even though, as we constantly say, I'm not a professional wrestler, I've never been a professional wrestler, I most certainly did not train at Hammerlock, but for some reason, I've become this in recent years, I've become this designated cardboard cutout who gets plonked <laughs> there anytime there's three of the four Hammerlock horsemen and the other one's not there. It's it's like, right, Liam, stand there. I'm sure one day we'll get around to photoshopping Mike White's face on you. Um, I've just got to do a whole accent, as I'm not good at. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I'll be the fuddy-duddy, and I'll be completely objective in this one. Ric Flair in the promo said Jeff Jarrett was a horseman. I believe there was a point where he was kicked out the horseman. And... It was quite um, it was quite a standout event as well because for some reason, whatever reason, Jeff Jarrett was kicked out of the horseman and he didn't get the shit kicks out of him, which is obviously the traditional horseman send off. Uh, I'm sure you Hammerlock horsemen have the same thing. <laughs> Mike, you haven't shown up. You're out. Bang, bang, bang. Kick, kick, kick. That's you treacherous bastard. You know, that's how I like to imagine it. Anyway, but yeah, he was he, he was brought in by Flair. He was kicked out by Flair. He could be the candidate for the worst horseman ever. And I know there were worse wrestlers to be horsemen, but as far as like just having really poor standing in the group and not being well remembered, you can make that case. But he was technically a horseman. Yeah, cause I've, I've got to say, if you asked me to list all the horsemen, Jeff Jarrett would be someone that I would would not necessarily remember. Hashtag five concussions. But I do remember actually from uh, one of our previous Hooked on Wrestling party quizzes, I think I'm right in saying Jeff Jarrett is the uh, answer to the trivia question of who has been a member of the Four Horsemen, the NWO and the Bullet Club. Yeah, he's also the answer to who's the worst member of all three groups. <laughs> God bless him because he's he, he was he's a fantastic guest. You'll yeah, probably yes. hear his voice at some point on this episode because we still use the ad then. I love him. He's 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 great. You know, from my standpoint, I work in media, so for for me, I can I can see a big difference between the athletes who are an absolute drag to get through and get good quotes out of, and they give like one word answers or they can just be a trouble to get a hold of in the first place. And Jeff is the opposite of that. He he was fantastic for someone in my work position to, to work with and get quotes from. So oh yeah, I love Jeff, but yeah, he wasn't a, a flagpole member of any yeah. of those groups. And uh, Muscles, you were shaking your head when I read that question out, so I'm guessing you're a no as well. 
Yeah, I'm a no, no. I mean, he couldn't be. It's not. A, I, don't, I don't think I could ever see him as a horseman. Um, it's like, well, yeah, it's just like a. It's not the same, is it? Like, it's got to be the original horseman, you know. It's like, like with us, Mike White's always going to be original horseman, isn't he? Sorry, Liam. <laughs> it's all right. I won't get too uh, downbeat about it. <laughs> Justin, you're you're grimacing. Um, uh, yeah, a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. Um, I think the horsemen were overly romanticised as this big thing. Um, in my opinion, um, the horsemen really were pretty much Ric Flair, possibly Ric Flair and Arn, mm. and that's it. The rest of them interchangeable, interchangeable players. Um, so I do think the horsemen were romanticised more than what they actually were, which was Flair and Anderson. Um, do I think Jeff Jarrett? You know, he's too similar to Flair. I think um, in many aspects. So I don't think it would have been a suitable suitable role for him to be in. It wouldn't have added anything to the horseman. It wouldn't have added anything to Jarrett's status. So, um, yeah, that's why I don't think it's really too good to consider him uh, a member of the horseman. Okay. Do you know You're what? Right. In that in that aforementioned Jeff Jarrett interview we had on the podcast, I did get the chance to ask him about his his ill-fated time in the Horseman. Because, yeah, it, it was short-lived. It was square peg, round hole. And, yeah, for, for the most part, he, whether the Horsemen were uh, in good standing or fans liked them in the 90s or not, they, they never really... Eric Bischoff never really got the group. He was never really a fan, was he? So they always were, as we've seen with the Nitro watch-alongs, Dean, it was never really... Uh, given much much support from the booking and it was always fall by the wayside. But one thing I did have the chance to ask him was that it always struck me that him being such a flimsy, almost designed to be rejected member of the Horseman, I said to him point blank, was there ever any creative talk backstage that you were going to do what Kurt Hennig eventually did? Was he going to be the scrappy do of the four horsemen? Was he going to be that, that guy? Uh, and again, similar to what they looked like they were going to do with Brian Pillman, I guess, where Brian Pillman brought them down from within. Was he going, because, you know, he's come from WWE, uh, that would make him natural NWO criteria, even though the double J character is not NWO, but he could easily revamp that, uh, and do something a bit more slap nutsy. Um, I asked him, what, what, was it designed so that you would go in the horseman and then turn on them and join the NWO? And he honestly said that it was never said explicitly, that's what we're going to do. But then you read that brilliant book, uh, The Rise and Fall of Nitro, and you see that there was never any elaborate plans for anything. It was all done on a week's notice, which is a shame yeah. because we talk on a, on a regular basis, we talk in this podcast and we come up with some, with the benefit of retrospect and all the pieces on the board already for us. Um, but we talk about the what ifs and, and there's some great long-term booking ideas right there. And they just never gave themselves the time to even consider these things. Yeah. 
Um, the Jeff Jarrett uh, interview we had, by the way, if you want to hunt that out, it's episode number 17 from back in July 2018. So, um, yeah, it's well, well worth, yeah, very early on, but well worth uh, catching up on. But, yeah, what you just said there, that also was backed up when um, we spoke with Lance Storm. Because um, when we were talking with him about winning all those title belts, and, and, and he said the same thing, that Nitro was booked, literally booked one week to the next because of the creative control that people had. So you couldn't actually like plan a, a long storyline for someone because at any point they could say, to quote Randy Savage, Liam, nope, nope, and just scrap, <laughs> scrap the plans. So, so yeah. <laughs> He allegedly said that, but I like to think it's canon. Robbie Brookside told me that story in a Chinese restaurant. It's therefore got to be true. It has to be Um, believed. Yeah, but um, but yeah, um, it it, and that yeah goes back to what we were saying right at the beginning. That's the problem with creative control. That that yeah, you couldn't couldn't do anything. At least with the WWE, it starts and finishes with Vince, and that's that. Um, Right, last couple of questions. do you have a favorite WCW theme song? Like, for example, American Males, Liam. American Males. American Males. Um, Sorry, do Adam, I know let's you? Start with, let's start with you, Adam. Any favorite theme songs? For me, I'm going to be biased on this one. I'm going to say the Horseman song. Classic, yes. One of my choices as well. Mm. Justin, anything that stands out to you or... They were all terrible. Absolutely. <laughs> right, we're not we're not inviting him back um, then. Get back, kick him off if, now. Come on, this is the company that had the same song for Rey Mysterio and Giant Haystack, so you might have a point. Yeah, <laughs> if they if any of them were memorable to me, yeah, they would be memorable for all the wrong reasons. Um so no, I didn't have a favourite. I just um no, I've got another one. Least favorite. I had several least favourites. Um, I might have been, being, being number one. Um, but yeah, yeah, see, even that. Even really? the Hollywood Blondes. Even the Hollywood Blondes. I mean, we've we've encountered at least, what, two other wrestlers using that before or after them? I mean, it was yeah. stock yeah, my, music. My favourite one was Jake the Snake Roberts. It was mm. actually Jake Roberts' music at Halloween Havoc 92. Uh, they then custom-built a terrible theme song for him that was on the Slam Jam album. But That's Bill Watts right. had already bounced his ass, so he never actually used it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No, um, I, would, I, I, I can't even remember. That that's how bad my memory is. No, I I don't have a favourite theme song. They're all just as bad as each other. Okay, what in your eyes, what makes a good wrestling entrance music piece of music? Um, it's good. I don't think it necessarily has to have a close tie-in with the 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 gimmick that the wrestler's going out with. It just needs to be catchy. Just needs to be something catchy, uh, something memorable. Um, anything WCW uses just doesn't doesn't hit home for me. Nothing nothing is what I would consider a memorable, worthy theme song to remember. Um, WWF. 
WWF, WWE had um, amazing amount of fantastic theme songs. Oh, incredible ones. Um, WWE, what is his name? What's the fella's name? Jim Jones. Um, yeah, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Now, why didn't WCW uh, hire somebody as talented as that? Because surely Jim Johnson wasn't the only person in America with that talent. Um, obviously, WCW didn't regard it as something. Uh, sorry, Cameron. No, I was going to say, even going back to the FWA again, and I think the FWA were, were way, way, way ahead of their time because you think about the problems that companies have now and everyone has to have like non-copyrighted music. We had a, an amazingly talented guy from Birmingham called Ralph Cardell, who, um, yeah. who, who basically wrote everyone's uh, like unique entrance music. Um, and yeah, they they all had like a certain vibe to them that that you know, was that you could tell it was a Ralph tune. But yeah, you could say the same about I don't know Dr. Dre or someone. They were yeah, everyone has their own fingerprints on things. But he he put together unique, you know, non copy well copyrighted for the FWA to use pieces of music that was actually that was part and parcel of the FWA experience. Wasn't yes. It? And it does make the wrestler, it does have, it does really make the wrestler. We were associated with We're the Old School uh, tune, which was incredible. It was great, perfect. Um, so, yeah, FWA, we, we did have something pretty unique that no other uh, wrestling promotion had at that time. I know that some promotions now have their own um songwriters on, yeah. their, on their books but um yeah fwa we were trailbreaker in that sense didn't jimmy hart write a few songs for the wcw as well he did yeah yeah he yeah. Mo- he mostly ripped off uh well-known songs <laughs> and while dean will laugh at that and he'll say oh yeah fwa were, were trailblazers and they would never stoop that low all i can say in response to that is Chris Justice. So it turns out no, none of us are above that. And, uh, <laughs> we can all uh, rip off a catchy tune. But then I, on I, that uh, on that note, one of my answers, one of my favourite theme songs, which is a shameless rip off, I've always had the, the the absolute catchiness. You know, it's an absolute earworm of mine. It's a late WCW theme. I liked Elix Skipper's theme, and I've had it on this podcast when we used to play ones at the end of it, where it was, what was it, a DMX tracks? It was yeah. DMX tracks, sorry. Um, was it? Y'all didn't know who built this house. Bramdam did. Bramdam. And it was great, because he, <laughs> he, he was one of the last remaining bastions of, of good, enjoyable WCW wrestling back when I was on there. And the proof of that was the fact that he was one of the standouts of the early TNA days, and you know, his, his, his cage walk Rana will be forever remembered as yeah. one of the great moments. That just shows us that they did have some good talent, and, and that was a great theme for him. But to uh, disprove Justin's theory about all WCW themes not being memorable, not being great, I'll put forward my pro- probably my two picks for the best WCW themes of all time is you've got Goldberg's theme and you've got Sting's Crow theme. 
And Sting's Crow theme in the right context still gives me goosebumps to this day. And one of the best things, one of the best reactions I've had to modern wrestling is when Sting showed up at AEW, and obviously they can't use his Crow theme. They can't use Seek and Destroy that he used a little bit from Metallica. Uh, mm. Even if they were allowed to, they wouldn't use his WWE theme because that was garbage. And um, so you've got to try and create something that somehow recaptures the greatness of the Crow theme. And talking about these great in-house guys, certain places go, AEW have no slouch in that regard. They have a guy called Mikey Ruckus, I believe his name is. And he's also done some uh, some good... Because he, 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 I believe he has also played a role in um, Michael Oku's theme, the prominent British wrestler, the Rev okay. Pro. He'll be main eventing for the Rev Pro title uh, next month against Will Ospreay. Uh, and he's, he's got a good theme tune. Mikey Ruckus had a hand in that. Uh, he's done a lot of the AEW themes. And when Sting's come out to the, his current, if you check out Sting AEW theme on YouTube, it's about as close as you can get to capturing that epic mm. original Crow theme. So, yeah, uh, uh, a stopped clock is right twice a day. And every now and then, WCW had some belters. I'll tell you one that I I loved, and uh, I'll tell you a little story about it as well, is um, Vader's theme tune, which was just very simple, just very basic that was good. with 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 those bursts of sound and and the things I always the thing that kind of cemented it for me was um, the first time um, seeing him live when WCW came over to the UK first time seeing him live and the first time hearing that music live and seeing him come out down the aisle to that music. And as a, as a teenage fan, I like got goosebumps. And it's like, wow, it captured, you know, it really captured it, the whole moment to me. And that, yeah, that kind of cemented it in my head as a, a great, great, not the greatest piece of music that's ever been written, but just perfect for that person and that image and that aura that he portrayed. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. Um, which WCW performer? Now, this this is a very specific, a very strange question. Which WCW performer would you most like to be stuck in the lift with on Christmas Day? Now, I don't know why any of us would be in a lift on Christmas Day. Um, maybe it's any other day. I don't know. But um, uh, yeah, which WCW performer would you most like to be stuck in a lift with on Christmas Day? Who, who wants to go first with that one? Oh, um, um, I'm going to say Medusa. Yeah. Medusa, I was a huge fan of hers. Um, very, very, and I had, I had a big crush on her at the time when I first started to see her in, uh, in WCW. I don't know what our topic of conversation would be if we were in the list <laughs> Would I, you um, be able to string a sentence together, Justin? No, no. <laughs> I'd be too shy. I'd be too embarrassed to speak with her. Too shy. But she, um, she would be my choice to be stuck in a lift with. Um, yeah, um, for no other reasons than I found her incredibly attractive. <laughs> so that's my that's my choice. Adam? Mm. Well, yeah, going on along them lines, 
I would say, um, yeah, Missy Hyatt, because this is a female, and there won't be much conversation there anyway. Or, uh, well, you won't I wanted much to have a conversation camera. between... No. You both uh, have uh, the same intellectual... Right to the end of it, and he's decided, he's decided to the end to put the digs in. Get um, or well, the other one. If I wanted to have a good conversation, it would be Jesse Ventura. I say. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, you see, I'd say yeah. T- teenage me would say Missy Hyatt for, <laughs> for the same reasons you said. <laughs> you and I think adult me would probably say someone like Arn Anderson, whose brain I could just uh, just pick. Liam, what about you? Uh, well, I suppose it comes down to me to provide the only non-pervy answer, doesn't it? <laughs> first off, first off, question for, about? question for a question to start. Did Cole Stewart put this forward? No, he did not. Oh, it makes a change. This, um, uh, this one, this one was from uh, Navdeep. Uh, fair it's, it, it's it's a very Cole Stewart question. Is is the only reason? <laughs> um, I'm gonna be non-pervy. I'm gonna say I would have Bill Kazmaier in the lift Ooh. with me because if that lift breaks and we are stuck, <laughs> the world's allegedly strongest man will make sure we get out nice and safe. See, lateral thinking. And I know this is something you wrestlers like to do, but I've earned the right to tap my head with my finger because I am laterally (laughs) thinking. I am clever. This is the universal sign for I am very smart. (laughs) This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to Because WCW. Well, that brings us to an end to our our Q and A. Thank you very much, to everyone who sent questions in. I hope we have uh, answered them to your satisfaction, um, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you to everyone who, in 2021, has taken the time and trouble to download any of our episodes, um, including Joe. You know, this past year, we've had one single download from Fiji. And uh, I was looking through the stats recently, um, well, today, and uh, I just I just have this image of some bloke in Fiji downloading one episode, listening to us and going, nope, fuck that. <laughs> Never coming back again. But, uh, yes. Um, but, yeah, thank you to everyone who's downloaded us. As I said, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at BecauseWCW, Facebook.com forward slash BecauseWCW. We'll be back for our fifth year, Liam, 2022. Have we made it this far? Have they not just shit-canned us by this stage? No idea. No idea. You've um, done four years already. Four <laughs> years. 2017 <laughs> we started. Um, Adam, where can people find you on socials? Uh, they can find me on Facebook at Adam uh, Adam Mansfield, or I've got my Muscles Mansfield page on Facebook as well. I've got my Instagram account as uh, Mansfield. Justin, you might have to help me out here because I'm not very social media like uh, Mansfield 77. I'll check out your Instagram feed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know you're on, you're on Twitter at Mans1977. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and Justin, what about yourself? You can find me at four in Just We Trust on all social media platforms. Four in Just We Trust. All opinions your own. <laughs> Yeah. Very, and usually <laughs> very strong. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And of course, Liam, we said about your your uh, 
your own uh, Twitter feed with uh, various uh, bits of sporting Yeah, news don't follow me on social and, media. Uh, <laughs> Leave me alone. Awesome. Well, um, that just leaves me to wrap things up. So for, for this episode and for this year, so thank you once again to everyone who has uh, downloaded any of our episodes. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us um, so you get the episodes straight into uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Do leave us a, uh, a review if, uh, if you can as well. But on behalf of Justin and Adam and Liam, this is me, Twisted Genius, saying thanks for joining us, and I'll see you ringside.